Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10 as we begin this morning our message in verse 22. But before we do, I want to go back to last week. There's one verse there that I had four people after the service walk by and say, you didn't even touch that verse. You didn't even say anything about it. And I want to know what it means. So I'm going to tell you what it means so we can move on then, okay? But it's found in the earlier verses, found uh, in verse uh, 16 of chapter 10. I was dealing last week about the hireling and the shepherd and fleeing. And then Jesus makes this statement. He said, and it's been misused greatly in our day. I want you to know that. He said, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, today, a lot of times that's used to say, see, there are many ways to God. There are many flocks out there, many sheep out there, and uh, if you're sincere in any religion, then you're all right. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying here, basically in a word, there are Gentiles who are my sheep, and I will bring them in. Notice he doesn't say, and they're okay out there. He said, they'll hear my voice, they'll follow me, they will become one, she- one flock with one shepherd. This verse, as much as any verse in the Scripture, even as much as Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, this verse emphasizes the exclusivity of Christ. You only come to, you only come to God by being a part of the flock that has one shepherd. And there's a day where Jesus, in gathering all of those who are outside, the, the flock where he says here, they're not of this flock, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the Jew. every believer at this time are almost totally uh, Israelites. They're, they're Jewish. And he's saying, there, there are some that are not of this flock that are my sheep, and I must bring them in. They will hear my voice, and they will come in. And so what Jesus is talking about there is building. When Paul talks about in Ephesians, the, the wall of separation, the dividing wall, has been torn down. There is now no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, The dividing wall has been torn down, and we are one in Christ. Uh, That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is saying here. So if you would, go back and tack that on to last week's sermon, and now let's look at this week's sermon. Verse 22. If you have any questions, uh, give me a call. Chapter 10, verse 22. Amazing passage we're looking at today. In other words, in fact, it's one of my favorite passages in all of the Gospel of John. I haven't said that yet. So this is, until we get into 11 and 12 and further. And the time of the Feast of Dedication, we would know that today as what the Jews celebrate as Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication is the same as Hanukkah that they talk about today. The, the lights, the, the restoration of the temple after it had been desecrated by the Syrians. And the Jews came in about 126 B.C. and, and recommitted, uh, re-consecrated, uh, rededicated, if you will, the temple. So at, at the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, probably late November, early December. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, C.K. Barrett, the New Testament scholar, gives an alternate translation for how long will you keep us in suspense. 
And, and C.K. Barrett thinks it ought to be translated, and I tend to agree with him. How long do you intend to annoy us? Because they're antagonistic here. They're not just saying, oh, please, tell us quickly that you're the Christ so we can believe. I mean, you know, they're antagonistic to him. How long are you going to annoy us? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? And this is what Jesus said to them. He answered them and said, I told you, and yet you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these works testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. It's interesting. He doesn't say you are not my sheep because you don't believe. He said you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. That's about as plain as he can say it. How long will you keep us in suspense? How long will you annoy us? If you're the Messiah, just tell us. He couldn't have said it any plainer. And they all said, great, we believe. Oh, no, verse 31 says, and the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Tell us, are you the Messiah? Tell us, are you the Christ? How long are you going to hide it from us? He says, listen, I've been telling you that. I healed a blind man, blind since birth, the mark of the Messiah from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant. I told you who I am, and you didn't believe. You don't, you don't believe. And, and you say you want to know, and I, I tell you again, and I tell you plainly, and I say, I and the Father are one. And when they hear those words, it says they reach down, they pick up stones, and they want to stone him. And being stoned is quite different in Jesus' day than it is in our vernacular today. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to destroy him. They wanted to bring an end to this troublemaker in all of Israel. It's an amazing passage where Jesus is explicitly stating who he is. Now, he's been implicit about it all through this. He's been implicit about a lot of things all through this, this passage, talking about the shepherd and the sheep, and, and he's implied several things. But all through his ministry, he has shown them through what he's done, turning water into wine, healing a blind man, healing a crippled man, all of these miracles, feeding 5,000, all of these miracles with one intent of saying, the works testify that I am from the Father, the, the miracles, the signs are showing you that God has sent me as the Redeemer, as the Savior, as the Messiah. And yet with all of that, you refuse to believe. But I love what Jesus tucks in the middle of all this. Because the picture you see is the Jews and Jesus again in conflict. John makes a switch, there's a big switch from verse 21 to verse 22. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier. The earlier part is at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he has this long discourse at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And now all of a sudden, Jesus, John moves to the Feast of Dedication. Probably 
roughly about four months before Calvary. We're moving in that direction intently now. Jesus' eyes are firmly fixed on Calvary. So about four months earlier, and John makes a quick switch, no transition, no statement, and some time went by, and then it was the Feast of Dedication. He just goes right into it, and he still has Jesus there talking about the shepherd and the sheep. Some higher critics say, well, that's evidence that John was just trying to make up something. I mean, here you've got a, a time has passed, and you've still got Jesus talking about uh, being the shepherd and being the sheep. So it's got to be contrived by John in writing this. Really? I've been a preacher for 40-plus years. And you know what? I, I hate to tell you this, but when I go to other places, I typically preach what I've already preached here. They give me a topic, they give me a title, they give me a, a subject, and I will take something I've already done, and I will make it work there. Any traveling preacher, you, you go look at a traveling person who does evangelism, and you'll find they go to one city, and they preach six sermons, and they go to the next city, and they preach the same sermons. There's nothing, about, nothing wrong with repeating the same analogy, repeating the same point, and that's what that's what Jesus is doing here. He's still picking up on and using the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. But he shows us something about us who are his sheep, who have heard his voice. He shows us something about us that the Jews are oblivious to. They don't have a clue. They, they hear him talking and, and they just want him to they want him to say something so they can kill him. They don't want to believe in him. They want to get rid of him. But I want you to see what he's saying to you and me. There's three things, really, in this passage, in the course of verses 25 through 30, particularly in the reply that Jesus gives to them, that shows the supreme privileges of those who believe in him, those who have put their trust in him. First of all, he, he shows that that those who believe him are a summoned or a called group of people. He said, I speak, I call, they, they hear my voice, and, and when they hear my voice, they, they follow me. It's just natural. They, they are my sheep, they know their shepherd's voice, and when I call them, they follow me. The, the call of Christ is brought to them in a new relationship to him. I know them and they know me. And that relationship turns into a new lifestyle. They follow me. If you are in Christ, it's because Christ has called you out of darkness into light. He's called you out of death into life. And, and in calling you, you as being a sheep of his have heard his voice and you have changed in your lifestyle by his grace and by his power, and now you follow him. A change in relationship, there's a change in lifestyle, and the proof of faith is following, or the proof of faith is obedience. Not perfect obedience, not absolute obedience, not being able to say, well, you know, I'm following Christ now, and I never sin. I follow Christ now, and I just do everything that Christ leads me to do. I do everything Christ has called me to do, and I shun sin, and I pursue righteousness with all my heart and all my life all the time. That's not the case, is it? Oh, that I wish it were. Oh, that I wish it were. But, but you see, there's a call here that the sheep respond to. They are a summoned or a called people.
Secondly, Jesus says they are a gifted people. They are gifted people. In verse 28, he says, And I give them as a gift eternal life. I give eternal life to them. It also says down here that the Father has given them to me. My Father who has given them to me. There is a certain giftedness about being a part of the, of the body of Christ, of the family of Christ. There's this gift. We are given eternal life, and we in virtue are, by that are given as a gift to Christ. There's a lot of giving going on here by the Father and the Son in the Trinity. There's a lot of beauty there that that gift is eternal life. Paul says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the essence of faith. That's the essence of belief. That's the essence of of what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not saying, I'm going to try harder. Being a Christian is saying, boy, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to be the best I can and hope that God will say, "Mm, you did just enough. That's not the essence of being a Christian. The essence of being a Christian is saying, Lord, I don't bring anything to this except my sin. I I can't do good to satisfy you. I'm not righteous in and of my own self. I need the righteousness of Christ imputed to my life, given to my account, added to my account. I am not good. I know we speak of good people, and we use that terminology kind of loosely. Oh, he's a good man. And I know what we mean by that. He's better than most, or he's better than some, or, you know, he's, he's not as bad as he could be. Any number of ways we could use that. He's a good man, a good woman. But we know that Jesus also said when the rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's no man that's good. Only God is good. Now, Jesus was not denying his deity there. He was just making the point. This rich young ruler did recognize something in Christ that many of the Jews around him didn't. He, only God is good. Man is not good. Man is not inherently good. Man is not getting, getting better of his own strength. And Jesus says, but I want you to know, when one trusts me, when one hears my voice and follows me, trust, believes, then I give them eternal life as a gift, even as the Father has given them to me. Believers, Jesus says, are a summoned group. They are a gifted group. And they are a secured group, thirdly. They are a secured group of people. I love how he says in verse 29, uh, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In verse 28, before that he said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Folks, there's security there. I love how J.C. Ryle put it, and this, is, this little quote is in your faith talk because I wanted you to be able to think about it with your family a little bit, meditate on it with the Scripture and what Bishop Ryle from an Anglican from 1800s in England said, a contemporary Spurgeon. And J.C. Ryle said this in his little commentary on, on, on the Gospel of John. He said, Christ declares that his people shall never perish. 
Weak as they are, they shall all be saved. Not one of them shall be lost and cast away. Not one of them shall miss heaven. If they err, they shall be brought back. If they fall, they shall be raised. The enemies of their souls may be strong and mighty, but their Savior is mightier. And none shall pluck them out of their Savior's hands. Wow. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Ryle is just reflecting. Ryle is, is resounding that great truth. That I, I, you're in my hands, Jesus says, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. But also with the, the whole idea of the Trinity being involved, you're, you're in the Father's hands, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. And then Jesus has the audacity to say in verse 30, I and the Father are one. The Trinity, the unity, the God-man, the Father you know, you know we, we live in a day where some people say, well, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about God. Well, that's a whole misnomer. We live in a day where some say, oh, I just love the Jesus is such a cool guy, but boy, God the Father is a little scary. Well, that's a whole misunderstanding of who Christ is and who God is and what the Scripture teaches about him. But Jesus is giving us, in the middle of arguing with the Jews here, the Jewish leaders, he's given us this whole concept of the security of the sheep. He's implied it in the first 18 verses of this chapter. But now he's explicitly talking about it. He's, he's being badgered by the Jews. He's being hounded by the Jews. They are following him around, and, and they're saying, who do you think you are? You know, we talked last week about how they looked at him and thought he had lost his mind. Here's a crazy man come into town. Now they're saying, who do you think you are? How long are you going to annoy us? How long are you going to hide it? From? Just tell us who you are. And he does, and they don't listen. But in the midst of that, he says, but I want you to understand who you are if you are in me. And this whole idea of security is wrapped up in that. The Jews, he tells, and they don't believe. The miracles bear witness of who he is, and they don't believe. And, and the reason Jesus gives for that is simple. They're not of his sheep. And he wants to call out those who are his. But this, this idea of security is important. I don't want to miss that. First, I want you to see Jesus says, they listen, they hear my voice, and they follow me. It's quite simple. He just says, this work of salvation is a work of Christ that is mighty and strong and powerful and beyond anything that you can imagine. And the work of security is not a work of saying, okay, Christ has saved me, and now somehow I've got to do all I can to stay saved. That's ludicrous. So Jesus goes on and he makes clear. He says, listen, I want you to understand the permanency of this relationship. I, I want you to see the concepts that he talks about here. It started back in his conversation with Nicodemus when he said, you know, if you know me, you'll be born again. And unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. There's a new birth and there's not an unbirth. There's a new birth. 
and, and he starts leading up to that, and he builds up to this, and he goes on and on and on. And in this passage, he's so, he gives it so powerfully. He gives you a positive statement, and he gives you a negative statement. The positive is, I shall give them, I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to them. That's the positive. And the negative is, and they shall never perish. It's emphatic. It's an absolute statement that if you belong to him, if you are in Christ, you have been given eternal life. We've talked about that before. By its very definition, eternal life doesn't end. Jesus doesn't come to you and say, listen, I'm their shepherd, they are my sheep, and I give them temporal life, temporary life, as long as they can hold on to it. He he doesn't say, I'm their shepherd, and, 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 and they're my sheep, and I... I'm going to give them life and hope that it lasts for eternity. doesn't say that. He says, I give them life, eternal life. And then in case they don't understand what eternal life really is, he says, and they shall never perish. Then he, then he talks about the impossibility of anybody, anywhere, at any time, stealing them from him. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My hand is powerful. That's what J.C. Ryle said. He said, uh, the, the enemies of our souls may be strong and mighty, but our shepherd is mightier. The devil may be strong, but John in his epistle said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What he's saying is, greater is Christ than Satan. Greater is Christ than the attraction of the world. Greater is Christ than than anything that would seek to pull you away from Christ. Now, some would say, oh, but I know people. I know people who have said they trusted Christ and then wandered off into darkness and sin and, and absolute destruction and, and, you know, how can you say they were saved? I can't. <laughs> That's the whole point. If a person leaves and wanders away and it looks like they were snatched out of his hands, it really means they were never in his hands to begin with. John said that in 1 John. They were dealing with that issue in the church where John was writing, and, and they were saying, John, how is it that we had a large number of people at one time, and some of them took on leadership positions, some of them even prayed, and some of them preached maybe, and they're gone now. They're back out in the world living like the world. How is that to be? And John said, listen, they are no longer with us because they never really were of us. They're no longer here because they never were apart. Well, they were religious. They did something that they thought was a work, but it wasn't salvation. It wasn't faith. It wasn't trust. It wasn't putting their whole faith in Christ. He said, you can't, you can't be snatched out of my hand, but if you want a little more security, let me tell you, it's also impossible for anyone to ever be snatched out of the Father's hand. It's almost like you're in Christ's hand and the Father's hand is wrapping over top of that. And as, as one uh, preacher I heard years ago in an evangelism conference in Alabama, uh, E.V. Hill, uh, an African-American preacher from South L.A., Los Angeles, not lower Alabama, South Los Angeles, he said, uh, he said you know, you're in, the, you're in the Lord's hands, you're in the 
Father's hand is clamping down on that, and then the Spirit is just all wrapping it up and protecting it all the way. And nobody can snatch you out of those hands. And I and the Father are one. I love the way he brings that illusion of the unity of the Father and the Son. The, again, the, the greatness of the Trinity, the triune God. Christ's sheep are in his hand. They're in the Father's hand. And no one, no one can snatch them away. You say, well, what about the person I know that made a profession of faith, wandered away, and came back later and wanted to be saved? Well, if they truly know Christ, they're coming back because the shepherd has brought them back. You know, the, you know the parable of Jesus with the 99 and the 1? Had 100 sheep, 99 were in the sheepfold. They were all safe. They were all secure. And yet there was one out there lost. He was a sheep of the shepherd. The shepherd didn't say, oh, well, God, hey, 99% is a pretty good average. He shut the sheep in the sheepfold, and he went out of the darkness of night, facing the dangers of the wolves and the weather and the darkness and he found that sheep, and he bound it up on him, and he brought it back. Yeah, we'll wander. We will sin. We will struggle. But here's the key. If you are in Christ, Christ will never let you be satisfied in that sin. I've had people come to me throughout my years of ministry and say, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I'll say, why? What do you... What's making you think this? Well, I, I just have an awareness of sin in my life, and I, I struggle with sin in my life, and I, I feel convicted by it. I feel guilty about it. I say, well, great. That's a good sign. You belong to Christ. Because if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in you, and He is constantly reminding you of righteousness and sin. He's constantly pointing to you when you have strayed away. A guilty conscience is a great sign of belonging to Christ if you are in Him. The one who's not in Christ is the one who comes and makes a great profession. And he goes back out in the world, and when you go to them and say, you're not following Christ, they say, I'm doing my own thing. doesn't matter. I'm happy where I am. It's like the, I was reminded last night when I shared my testimony about my own life when, when I was a college student at the University of Alabama, and I was confronted on campus by two guys, one of them a blind guy, and he could see a whole lot better than I could, i got to tell you. But I was confronting him outside of my dorm, and they showed me these little booklets, and they said, have you ever become a Christian? I said, oh, yes, yes, I, I did that when I was 12 years old, and, and everything's cool there. And then they said, well, what about the spirit-filled life? you ever experienced spirit-filled life? And I went, what is that? They showed me a little booklet that, by the way, I think is erroneous now. It's not good theology, but it, it, God used it. So God can, as someone said, God can sometimes use a crooked stick to draw a straight line. And he showed me, they said, well, there are three circles here. Here's one circle, Christ on the outside of the circle, life's in old disarray, and, and this is the non-believer. And then there's this carnal Christian, and, you know, the carnal Christian has Christ in there, but he's not on the throne, and the life is all in disarray. And then here's the, here's the spiritual Christian. Here's the real Christian's walking with Christ. Christ is in the circle, he's on the throne, and everything was just perfectly lined up. He said, which one are you? 
I said, oh, I'm, I'm the middle one, no doubt. And he said, well, don't you want to move to this one over here? I said, no, not really. Not really. I'm kind of happy. You know, I'm, I'm saved. I've made that done, but, and everything's in disarray, and Christ certainly isn't on the throne. He's certainly in ruling, but hey, I'm, a, I'm happy. I love being able to say I'm a Christian, and I can sin all I want to. I love that. And about three months later, God showed me I was a fool because you, that's not real. If you're happy in your sin, Christ isn't in the life. And Jesus is saying here, I want you to know your life won't always be perfect. His life certainly wasn't. They picked up stones and wanted to kill him. You know, your life won't always be perfect. But you, if you are in Christ, there's a reality, there's a comfort, there's a security, and you belong to me. So if you trust Christ, you ought not fear the Father. If you have confidence in the grace of Jesus by which you're saved, you ought not cower in fear and guilt before the Father. You've been forgiven. If you feel safe with Christ and you expect rejection from the Father, you don't understand the essence of, of faith and the essence of Christianity. Jesus and the Father are one. There is no there's no difference in the way they look at you, in the way they love you, and the way they protect you. I'm thankful. God didn't say, Bill, I'm going to give you life. It has the potential of being eternal. I hope you keep it. I hope you're good enough. I hope you're strong enough. I hope you're smart enough that you can keep it. Because you know what, folks? I'm not. I'm glad that he said, Bill, I'm going to give you eternal life. And you're a free moral agent, and you're going to make some real bonehead decisions. And you're going to do some really unwise things. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remind you who you belong to. And I'm going to call you continuously to repentance. And I'm going to shepherd you like I am your shepherd. I'm going to care for you. And and, and there may come a time when I have to discipline you. You know the old story that Philip Keller tells in his book about Uh, The shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. He said, sometimes if a sheep just continues to wander away, the shepherd has to break his leg and then reset it and then carry him about a while in order to teach him not to wander. There may be times, Bill, when I have to break your leg spiritually in order to remind you who really loves you. But I'm your shepherd. And I love you that much. I'm willing to let you go through difficult times to teach you how much I love you. I'm willing to let you hurt to show you how much I love you. I'm willing to show you this because I want you to know if you have trusted me, really trusted me, not a phony, not a phony faith that says, I just, want, I just want heaven when I die and don't want to go to hell. I, that, that might be a start. But friend, let me tell you something. Just wanting heaven is not salvation. Everybody I know of wants to go to heaven. They just don't want to see the shepherd that can get them there. And that's why I say to you this morning, if you're a, a sheep, if you're a part of his flock, you're secure. If you're trying to be a sheep, 
by force of your will, I'm going to do all I can to be a sheep. You're not one. Goats don't become sheep by force of will. Only by His grace. My sheep hear my voice. They hear me. And they follow me. And if they wander, nobody's gonna, no wolf is going to steal them from me. They are mine. If they break their leg and get hurt and, and sin, I'm going to bind that leg up and I'm going to care for them and heal them spiritually so that they won't do the dumb things again to break their legs spiritually. You see what I'm saying? See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, I am a mighty Savior. I'm mightier than Satan. I'm mightier than the world. I'm mightier than idols. I'm even mightier than you are. If your faith is in me, I'll protect you. I'm your shepherd. Folks, that's one of the most practical teachings that Jesus ever gives. And it's one of the teachings that makes me just cry out. You are the great I am. You are the great God, worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. If you don't know that shepherd this morning, if you've never followed, you've never heard his voice, I pray this morning that his voice will be heard by you. That you will hear his voice and you will obey. You will follow. I pray this morning that the Spirit of God will just so overcome you. Sometimes we sit back and say, well, I'm just going to wait till God makes me. Well, you're going to be waiting a long time. He's not going to do that. He'll change your desires. He'll make you want Him. But a stubborn, rebellious heart will lead to destruction. That's what the Spirit is saying. I invite you to Christ if you don't know him. And if you're one of these others that, that J.C. Ryle talked about, you know, if you've, if you've wandered, if you erred and wandered, then trust him to bring you back. If you've fallen, he'll raise you up. Trust him to raise you up. If the enemy is attacking you, claim that great truth that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And stand firm against the enemy. Do you know him? Are you a sheep who's heard his voice and has followed? Let's pray. Father, we put our trust in you because you only are worthy of trust. We put our hope in you because you, Lord, only are worthy of our hope and our strength. Your grace is sufficient for our every need. Your forgiveness is sufficient for our every sin. 
your power is sufficient for our every battle. Father, teach us this great truth that we may abide in you and walk in you and trust you completely. We ask this in Jesus' name.